Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orch, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. A few days ago, I was reading a column in which a person was describing the reality that pastors are getting older. Well, there are a lot of reasons why that mathematical calculation is moving up, if you will, on the age bracket. But one of the most interesting conclusions from the research was that pastors are returning to the pastorate in retirement in order to fulfill the need for many churches who simply cannot find a pastor. Now, I first addressed this issue uh, more than 20 years ago at a pastor's conference when I preached a message entitled, The Coming Crisis of Pastoral Ministry. And I've said at that time that the coming crisis is there aren't going to be enough pastors. And I used some demographic data and trend analysis even back then to show that there was coming a day when there were going to be far more churches and far more uh, opportunities for people to be pastors than there were going to be people who were uh, stepping forward to be pastors. Well, that is certainly happening in our generation. And it is true that pastors are returning to the pastorate in retirement, and they do that for many different reasons, but they would not be doing that if there weren't so many opportunities for people to take on that role, even in latter years. So from the seminary's perspective, we've been asking the question here for a number of years, why are men reluctant to become pastors, and why are there fewer people stepping forward today uh, to be pastors than perhaps ever before? Well, we've identified uh, about five reasons, and I want to walk you through those today, and then I want to give you some suggestions about what can be done related to this problem. The first reason that some men are reluctant to become pastors is a lack of church experience. Here at the seminary, for example, we have a number of students who come to faith in Jesus while they are college students. These young adult conversions uh, happen to people who've never really been involved in a church. They didn't grow up in church. They don't have any experience with church. And because of that, they don't really have any reference to pastors, who pastors are, or what pastors do. So these young adult conversions, primarily among college students or uh, college-age students, means that many of them really don't consider the pastorate because they haven't seen it uh, and haven't had experience with churches uh, in their growing up years. Now, as a, a related to this lack of church experience is also reaching people from other church backgrounds, uh, particularly from Catholic backgrounds or backgrounds where there weren't pastors, there were priests or other kind of religious leaders. I, I saw this when I went to Oregon to plant a church. Because Oregon uh, had such a small percentage of people who were involved in church or who had any church background, my assumption when I went there was that people in Oregon had no frame of reference about church. Well, I pr- that proved to be incorrect. Uh, I started reaching people who did have some frame of reference about church, but it was primarily the Catholic church. 
And so they had no understanding of who I was as a pastor and what I did as a pastor, a leader. And so their their lack of understanding or lack of experience with church was not so much with the lack of a of an understanding of the concept of church or even an appreciation for church, as long as they perceived it as the Catholic Church, but they had no real understanding of what I was or what I was trying to do as a pastoral leader in an evangelical and specifically in a Baptist context. So the first reason why some men are reluctant to consider the pastorate is they have a, a lack of church experience. They either didn't grow up in church uh, have had no real involvement in church, came to Christ as a young adult, and were only influenced by the circumstances around that conversion and the people who were involved in that, perhaps on their college campus or in some other ministry. Or if they did have any frame of reference to church, it was to the Catholic church or to maybe some kind of church background that didn't really promote pastor or pastoral ministry as a model for leadership. Which leads me into the second reason that people, uh, tell, uh, men tell us they're reluctant to become pastors is that they have limited role models of what healthy pastors look like. Now, this takes on at least two uh, different uh, aspects. First of all, uh, limited role models happens because there's too much focus on what I call the superstar pastors. Now, don't don't misunderstand. I'm not criticizing the superstar pastors. We need them. Uh, they're they're making a valuable contribution by leading very large, very aggressive, very public ministries, and uh, they set the bar in so many areas. Particularly, too. First of all, uh, they set the bar as communicators. Uh, they have the capacity to hold thousands of people, uh, to hold the attention of thousands of people and to communicate to them on a regular basis and to set a standard of what communication really looks like and how it has to be done in this generation. And also these superstar pastors are entrepreneurs. Uh, they have the capacity to create something out of nothing. They they are constantly thinking up new ideas and new ways and new approaches, and uh, they're not really bound by what can't be done. They're really uh, captured by the possibilities of what can be done. And because of that, um, there's an excitement and a freshness and a vibrancy about their ministries. But let's be honest. Most people are not superstars. Most people are not superstar pastors. They aren't great communicators, and they aren't a strong entrepreneurial leaders. So some men look at these superstar pastors and say, well, I can't do that. Therefore, I must not be qualified or capable of being a pastor. And so because they look at those very high-profile, very public role models and don't see themselves fitting into that niche, they say, well, this just can't be for me. And then another problem with not having really good role models is that there are too few what I call true pastors who really see that as the sum total and the, to and the absolute focus of their lives. They have uh, devoted themselves to the care of souls, to preaching the gospel, making disciples, strengthening families, building community, making a difference in the lives of people, and to doing that over the long haul in a steady, productive way uh, in one church or one community. I think about different men that I know who've done this. 
I'll be celebrating one in just a few days who's completing 30 years of pastoral ministry in the same congregation. And it's been a growing church. It's been a healthy church. It's never become a mega church. Uh, This pastor is not on any programs anywhere. He's not a superstar communicator or he's not a super entrepreneurial leader, but he's a pastor, a true pastor. He preaches the gospel. He practices uh, the cure of souls by making disciples and caring for people in, in his flock. He visits the sick. He cares for the hurting. He designs programs and opportunities to meet the needs of people, not only in his church, but also in his community. And he's been doing it faithfully for 30 years. And because of that, a very strong, very healthy, very vibrant church has grown up around him and and resulting from his leadership. And uh, the people in his church love him. Uh, They're devoted to him. Uh, They appreciate him. And they uh, they admire and value his long-standing, faithful, committed, steady service. He's a true pastor. Well, because there are fewer role models of uh, pastors that really um, motivate men to take on this role, some are reluctant to do that. We'll come back to how to solve that problem in just a minute. A third reason that men tell us that they are reluctant to become pastors, and this is a painful one to say, is that they just don't want to deal with the nonsense that's going on in many churches today. They don't want to deal with the conflicts the negativity, uh, the backbiting, the small-mindedness, the legalism. They just don't want to deal with it. And when they look at the opportunities for ministry leadership and they see the dysfunction in so many churches, uh, they just say, I'm not interested. What do I mean? Well, these kinds of church conflicts, church dysfunctions are caused by several things. Uh, The first, perhaps, is resistance to change. Churches get set in their ways and settled in how they do things, and they just don't want to change. Whether it's worship styles or preaching styles or ministry schedules or ministry locations, whether it's comfort levels of doing things a certain way at a certain time in a certain place, people just don't want to change. And it's so easy in church to identify our way of doing things with the way God wants things done. And that's not always necessarily the case. And so when churches are resistant to change and a potential pastoral leader looks at that and says, why would I bang my head against that brick wall? Why would I make that kind of effort? Why would I put myself through that kind of turmoil? Why bother? I just don't want to be involved in that. Another issue related to this is that many churches today are focused on uh, various kinds of social issues and various kinds of what I'll call peripheral issues to the gospel and the the message of the gospel and our mission of making disciples. They get caught up in political activism and social justice and all kinds of uh, contemporary uh, problems and challenges and issues, all of which have some level of significance, not saying they don't. But none of them are the ultimate eternal mission of the gospel. And so potential pastors look at churches that are caught up in politics or social justice issues that are veering either to the right or to the left and their perspectives on these things. And they say, I just don't want to deal with that. That's not who I am, not what I'm going to be a part of, not what I want to devote my life to. So 
They just are reluctant to enter into the work. And then as a part of this also, there's what I'll call a lack of mission commitment. Uh, that churches really don't have a commitment to the mission of the gospel. Oh, they say they do, and, and they give lip service to it, and, and they may even occasionally rise up and do something that's really missional or committed to getting the gospel to more people. But week in, week out, that's just not really who they are. And so men look at this and say, is it really worth the effort? Church conflicts, church dysfunction built around resistance to change, too much focus on social and political issues, lack of real missions commitment and commitment to the eternal mission of the gospel. All of these reasons are reasons that men are looking at the church and saying, it's just not worth it. Well, there's a fourth issue, and that is the economic realities of being a pastor today. Some men are reluctant to become pastors, and frankly, uh, I understand this reluctance because they just can't make a, a, a fair living or a genuine or a legitimate living in pastoral ministry. There's so many aspects of this. Uh, pastoral ministry compared to other uh, occupations in our culture has low pay, uh, often low benefits, and often People who become pastors have a hard time meeting the needs of their family. You know, it's important for churches to recognize that that pastors have financial needs. Look, there's nothing wrong with your with wanting to get braces for your children, or pay for childcare uh, for your children, or take care of making sure that your family has the opportunity occasionally to slip away for a few vacation days. These are not things that are inappropriate for pastors, and these are things that churches should take real responsibility for making sure that they can provide the kind of support needed you know, for a pastor. So one of the reasons that, that pastors look at the or men look at the pastor and say I just don't want to do it is because they realize that not only will they have to make sacrifices but they're going to have to make sacrifices to a point where it becomes unmanageable untenable you know unreasonable for them in their families now I, I I'm sometimes asked well how much should you pay a pastor well you should pay a pastor enough for that person to live at the standard of living enjoyed by the most of the people in your congregation, and you should pay a pastor enough so that you can avoid the distractions that come with life, and he can simply meet those obligations and keep his focus on the ministry of the church as it, and, its, and its demands. So one of the reasons that pastors don't want to enter the pastorate today or that men don't want to enter the pastorate today is because of the economic realities. And frankly, a part of this is also the cost of training versus the economic gain that comes from that training. You know, we're always here at the seminary struggling to, to try to keep tuition as low as possible because we know that, that, uh, that people that are coming here don't really have the money to pay for seminary. And if they do have the money or if they do borrow the money, they won't have the money to pay it back based on the income they're going to be getting from the ministry. And so one of the real challenges we face here at the seminary is people saying, is it really worth it? What am I really going to gain by going to seminary economically? Um, And honestly, uh, that is a tough answer because 
many people are, are, are doing ministry without seminary training and aren't paying the price to get that training. And so uh, they say, why should I do that? If it's going to be something that is really optional, well, then why, why should I make it uh, a priority, especially when it's going to cost me so much? So pastors or men are reluctant to enter the pastorate because of the economic uh, realities that go along with that. Well, here are some reasons that we've identified. Lack of church experience, lack, limited role models, church conflicts and dysfunction, and economic realities. Now, what can be done about this? Well, the first thing that can be done about this is to raise the bar of pastoral ministry and to raise the aspiration of pastoral ministry once again by raising up the, the, the office of pastor as it's described in the Bible and communicating that to men. You know, the Bible says being a pastoral leader is something that you should aspire to and that it's, it's appropriate to aspire to it because being a pastor is taking on a role that is a special gift from God. Uh, it's a high calling it's something that uh, is, is uh, responsible for leading the most important organization or entity in the world, and that's the church. So the first thing we can do is elevate the role of pastor by looking at it in the Bible and by communicating biblically what that role is really all about. So that's step one. And I'll just challenge you and ask you this question. When is the last time, the last time, if, you're, if you are a pastor, that you issued a public call to pastoral ministry? And when is the last time that you preached or spoke positively about what it means to be a pastor and about the value and the, uh, of that role and of what it means? So the first thing I would do is say, we have to elevate the role of pastoral ministry by, again, recapturing how it's described in the Bible and communicating that clearly so that men understand what they're responding to. Okay, a second thing we can do are to teach church courses or, ch or teach church training type courses that help people understand what the church is and what the leaders of a church are supposed to do and what they're supposed to be. I'm amazed that people expect that people will under that that people will understand what what the church is supposed to be and what church leaders are supposed to be without being taught. And these uh, kind of discipleship courses help people understand what is expected of leaders and what can be done with them. You know, I I'm I'm really impressed with some pastors I know, particularly one who has a class every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. Every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. He has a class, meets from 7 to 8.30, for men in his church that he's training to be pastoral leaders. Now, not all of them become pastors, but several of them have. And he's constantly asking men, would you like to come and learn more about the church, how churches function, what pastors do, how pastors function. And then as men come to his class, he involves them in pastoral ministry. He gives them opportunities to preach. He takes them with, uh, he takes them, uh, with him on 
pastoral visits and hospital visits. He asked them to assist at funerals, to be a part of the work of a pastor. Now, some men come through this training time, stay a few weeks, stay a few months, and realize, you know, this isn't really for me, and they move on to other areas of service in the church. But there are other men who've been a part of this group on Saturday mornings for years, and they've been cultivated and brought into pastoral ministry, and now uh, they've been sent out to help revitalize churches that our church is, uh, or that this particular church is helping to, to restart. They're taking on pastoral responsibilities in the church as staff pastors. Uh, they, they're, they're, just, they're, they're just emerging as pastoral leaders because there's someone teaching them about church and about pastoring and about what it means to get that work done. And this is not just a, a three-week class. This is a class, a group, uh, an opportunity that's been going on for years in this church every Saturday morning. Now you say every Saturday? Well, of course, there's some you miss. I mean, there's holidays and other kinds of things. But for year after year after year, this pastor has been mentoring men and guiding them toward pastoral leadership and producing men who could step into the pastoral role. So first thing we want to do is raise the bar, raise the aspiration, raise the possibility of being a pastor by communicating clearly what the Bible has to say about that role and by preaching and teaching and living that out openly. And then second, create training opportunities, create opportunities for people to learn about the pastorate, learn about the church, learn how these things function and to test drive, if you will, some of the work of pastoral or some of the work that pastors do so that they can understand what pastoral ministry looks like. And you may say, well, you know, I'm a pastor, but I don't have 10 men in my church that could do this. Do you have one? Do you have two? Just get started. Just get started shaping, challenging other men to take on this role of pastoring and see where it might lead. Third, a third thing that you can do is to create more positive and more balanced role models for people who are considering the pastorate to observe. In other words, don't just point the uh, potential pastors to the superstar pastors, the people that are on the media, making the podcast, doing the preaching at the major conferences. Don't point just to them. Instead, say, look, here's a pastor in our community who's been at his church for 10 years. The church has had steady growth. The people there are healthy. The church is not dysfunctional. It's moving forward in a positive way. Why don't you go and interview that person? Why don't you l listen to what they're doing? Why don't you go and learn from them and see the role model that's being developed there or see that person develop as a role model for you as you think about pastoral ministry? So promoting positive role models and helping people to see what a really healthy pastor looks like in their community. Another positive thing you can do is use your voice to advocate for good compensation for pastors. Uh, I don't know how else this will ever get done until people in uh, lay people in support roles just simply step forward to make it happen. Most pastors are not going to go and ask for more money or more support. They, they're awkward, it feels awkward and, and, uh, and uh, unseemly, if you will. I was recently involved with a situation where a pastor and his family lived in a parsonage, and uh, they had many years of, uh, of effective leadership there, and then they moved on to another role, and 
Uh, they were being sent out by their church to this other role, so it was a very positive, uh, uplifting kind of conclusion of their ministry. And as a part of that, he facilitated a new person coming in to take his place who was also going to live in the parsonage. Well, during the transition, uh, some of the church members came into the parsonage and for the first time really saw uh, the condition that it was in, and they said, why did how did this happen? Why didn't you tell us this was all broken and this was in need of repair? And we didn't even know. And I thought, you know, this is a typical uh, situation. The pastor's struggling with an inadequate living facility, but the people in the church don't even know about it. And once they knew about it, they wanted to do something about it. They had the money, they had the resources, they had the capability. They just didn't know there was a need. Well, I'm telling you today, there's a need. Use your voice to advocate for adequate compensation for pastors to step up and say, you know, our pastor needs to be paid enough so that his needs are met. His family can live in our community and he doesn't have the distraction of constantly worrying about meeting these meeting his financial obligations. Doing this just creates a pattern which becomes more attractive to more people who are considering pastoral ministry. Another thing that you can do is to support uh, or, or is to create and support new training models for pastors. Now, here at Gateway, we have a number of different levels of training that we offer. We offer a very basic training for people who are just starting out in ministry all the way up to the Ph.D. for people who are training at the highest academic levels and the DMN for people who are training at the highest ministerial or professional levels. One of the things that I think is in our future uh, is more and more bivocational pastors, more and more co-vocational pastors, uh, more and more pastors who are going to be serving in places uh, where they simply cannot at this point provide a full-time salary and may never be able to do so, especially in small towns, rural communities, and other kinds of settings. So in those contexts, we still need trained leaders, and that's why Gateway has pioneered our advanced program, which provides training for people who are primarily going to be involved in bivocational or other kinds of ministry leadership roles, or who, for whatever reason, don't have the educational background to enter into a college or a seminary program. That is a burgeoning program for us, by the way. We have hundreds of people involved in this all over the, uh, the world, really, but mostly in the Western United States. And I think you have to support those kinds of training models to help pastors understand or to help men understand that training is available to them and it's inexpensive and it's accessible and it's something that can help them uh, as they move forward in pastoral ministry. So if you've been a person who's thought only traditionally about the seminary being a place that people move to and live at for, for a few years, uh, you need to get past that and recognize that there are lots of other training opportunities, and lots of other training models and step up and begin to promote those and challenge people who are considering pastoral ministry to get the kind of training they need for the role that they're, that they're considering. And then finally, finally, uh, we can attract more people to pastoral ministries if some of us in leadership will be more courageous in confronting immature believers who are causing dysfunction, division, conflict, chaos, and resistance to change in churches. Maybe it's just because I'm getting older, but uh, I'm getting less patient with this nonsense. And I'm getting more willing, I've become more willing to just say to people, 
you've got to change. You got to stop acting this way. You got to get past these dumb ideas and uh, of holding on to the past and preserving your legacy and all of that. You got to think about the future, and you've got to become a church that's willing to support a pastor who's willing to think about the future. A church recently contacted me and said, "Can you help us find a pastor and help us find someone who can really help us go in, go forward into the future?" And I said, "Well, I can help you, but I just need to ask you." one very serious question, and that is, are you willing to call a 35-year-old pastor and let him reach his contemporaries and change your church to accommodate their needs? The room got silent for a little while. (laughs) And finally, someone said, we think we are. And I said, well, I understand that you're in the process of making that kind of commitment, but until you're ready, uh, I can't help you. You've got to be really ready to change and to find the right kind of pastor who can lead you forward and then turn that person loose to do the work that God has called them to do. So why are men reluctant to become pastors? Lack of church experience, limited role models, church conflicts and dysfunction, economic realities. What can we do about these problems? Raise the bar of pastoral ministry by preaching and teaching what the Bible says about pastors and how important they are. Train and create training opportunities for men to field test pastoral calling and field test pastoral ministry to find out exactly what it means and how to do it and how they might could do it and what they might learn about themselves in the training process that would then motivate them to take on this role. We got to continue that effort by creating new training models for pastors to get the kind of training they need from seminaries and other locations to move them forward in ministry, recognizing not everyone's going to move away to a seminary, not everyone's going to be a full-time pastor, and we have to have training that fits into those. And frankly, I'm glad at Gateway we're doing that. We just need to promote that more and get more pastors involved in that and help more men understand that kind of support is available to them if they'll take on the role of pastoral ministry. And then we've got to get real about money, and we've got to be more courageous about confronting dysfunction and simply saying, that's not going to define a church any longer. We're going to get the right pastor, and we're going to make the right decisions to go forward and put some of these kind of this pettiness and difficulty and dysfunction behind us. Listen, God is still calling men to pastoral leadership. We need to do all we can to facilitate their response to God's call. And if you're a man today who's listening to this podcast and you're thinking about pastoral ministry, I want to assure you it is a high calling, a good calling, a worthy calling. Yes, there will be problems along the way, but the joy of doing this work far exceeds the difficulties you'll encounter. And yes, there are some issues that need to be resolved economically and with dysfunction and with other kinds of issues, but don't let those things hold you back from pursuing the call that God may be placing on your life. God is calling people to pastoral ministry. We need to do all we can to facilitate that. Everything we can do to create more pastors will benefit God's kingdom as we move forward together. Work to facilitate more people coming into pastoral ministries as we lead on.